0: This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Okay, our last segment together. Other... We are coming... While people are coming back, any question, or clarification, something that's not clear so far, and yes. I have a question about um, the plates. Were you saying that revival happens between the sixth and seventh plates while there's a false revival? Oh yes, unquestionably. What, like as far as the sealing goes? What, is we're sealed before the plates? Um, because wouldn't the revival have to happen before it's happened in the first place? Remember, you see these things, after even entering whether it's simultaneous, before... That's uh, what I was just asking. I didn't enter into that, you know, yet. Because that, you know, I would need more time to elaborate why this... um, Okay, how do you put together the letters to the seven churches, the seals, you know, and so forth. One thing is sure, and that is what I wanted to emphasize. Before the second coming, there will be, you know, there are things that God focuses on. One is the sealing. So I, for now, I remain with the theme that is needed. God's people need to be sealed. Now, even the content of the sealing I have not yet developed, right? And then what do we need? We need to be involved in mission. Right? So that's also extremely important. And then what do we need? Well to be revived precisely. To stay awake, be close. And But the time of mission from God's people is also a time of counterfeit mission. You see, this is why you have like uh, even the unholy trinity in, in chapter 13, the dragon and the beast. You know? So everything that God does, the enemy brings counterfeit. That's just, why? Because uh, Satan doesn't want a revival. He doesn't want us to be connected to God. Because basically revival is a reconnection to God, to, um, because God is spirit, and it's life, vitality, <laughs> Spiritual, you know, all those things have some kind of counterfeit. Remember, even the three spirit of frog, they are doing miracles. They are, you know, going around the world, etc., etc., etc. So this is why, if God's people do not preach the everlasting gospel, there will be another gospel, a different gospel that will be preached anyway, and that is preached anyway. You know, anyway. Any other question of clarification? While we waiting, people coming back. Yes? I'm wondering um, if why there's a sanctuary scene at the beginning, at the beginning of the reception hmm. and why they're different. Do you have any thoughts okay. Well, the sanctuary scene, actually, this, this is connected to a sanctuary truth. That, okay, <laughs> this is important. Uh, when Christ ascended, okay, maybe even before, before I tell you that, you see, look at Christian churches they all emphasize different aspect of Christ's ministry uh, you know with different sensitivities uh, uh, some talk about the incarnation wow you know the, the baby you know christmas and this so-called mm? and we know the christmas days you know okay then uh, some <laughs> emphasize on the on the on the cross you know uh, um, Anius Dei, the, you know, the Lamb of God, like, you know, the catholic also. Anus Dei qui toli peccata mundi, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, etc, etc. Orthodox Christians emphasizes the resurrection, you know, light. You can see in their, in, in their icons, you know, resurrection, Christ, light, light, etc, etc. Now, other Christians talk about, oh, Christ ascended and gave gifts. Pentecostal, charismatic type of Christianity. okay. But then, where is Christ? What is He doing? Now that is connected to the sanctuary message. See, so everything that is happening here in Revelation, starting, you know, uh, from the churches and then the seals, the trumpet, the plagues, happens from the sanctuary. Therefore, the beginning. You know, this is even a reinforcement of the message. Of, I mean, of the message uh, of the sanctuary. We can share this from various perspectives, but it is profound, what Christ is doing, okay? Any other question, or shall we just now move on to the, uh, I need a new army, I guess, (laughs) because I realize, wow, thank you, let me see that, see we have this, oh, but, It's going to be easier, maybe. Maybe. Okay, anyway. All right. Okay. Let me move here then. So, what I'm going to do now is. Let me just move on. What kind of people God wants to see. Uh, I'm going to take you to the book of Revelation, this time, more specifically, zooming on the letters to the seven churches. Okay? The letters to the seven churches. And, uh, and this is very simple, and I, I will do it in a way that you can continue even this study on your own, with a very simple question. We're looking at what are the values that Christ is after The virtues that he wants to see in his people before the second coming The letters to the seven churches are revealed precisely to show those kinds of values What really matter to Christ, what matters to Christ and the spirit Okay, so I'm going to illustrate this by taking a few letters. There's no way we can do each one of them, but uh, let's at least take some of them. Mm. Okay, and then I will come back to the vision of Christ later on. Okay, Um. all right, and here we go. Let me start then directly with this letter to Ephesus. Now, what we're looking at will be very simple. What is it that he (laughs) appreciates? And what is it that he doesn't appreciate? So that anyone will understand, you know, what Christ is after and what he. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. I think we'll be fine with that. And then at the end we will draw a portrait of the kind of Christian that he is looking. Okay, so let's read the first letter. Uh, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. The words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand. Who walks in the, uh, among the seven golden lampstands. And then he starts. I know your work. Your toil, your your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil. But have tested those who call themselves apostles, and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring uh, enduring patiently, and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. Okay? But, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first, your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, from where you have fallen, repent and do the work you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet you have this, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat to the, of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. So here is the first letter to Ephesus. Now, let me just go back here and ask you a question. Okay, each time. I know your works. Is this positive or is this negative? It's positive, right? I mean, I want to belong to a church of which it is said, (laughs) I know your works. And God commending this in a positive way. Then your toil, is that something positive also? Certainly. Your patient endurance, wow, or perseverance. Now, many things we start and we don't finish, but not this church. They are commended. they say, I know your perseverance, which is good. Okay. Uh, And you cannot bear those who are evil. That also is positive, meaning these people, ethically speaking, they don't want to mingle with something that is evil. Now that is positive. Okay. But, and by the way, another thing that is, pass, uh, that is pass, uh, positive, rather, Okay, actually, yes, you have tested, this is positive. This, this church has a gift of discernment. They know who is a true apostle and who is not. They know those who are in the faith and those who are not. So, I mean, positive. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, you found them to be false or liars. I know you are enduring patiently. Wow. Even bearing up or suffering for Christ's name's sake. That's also positive. You have not grown weary. Wow. But there's a problem. Can you believe this? You can have a church doing all these good things but this church is fallen How can I say that? Now think about it I mean, So this is the reason why you know I was reading something that almost disturbing in uh, uh, early writings Ellen White says that Satan and I mentioned this Satan will even make some pastors successful. He places some ministers, some places, being successful and God has nothing to do with that. Right, now think about it. So, you can, it is understandable, some people can have a church Doing all these things and say, see how, we, how great we are, how successful, and uh, I don't need to go to Matthew 7. he say, I never knew you. That's one thing. But here, in this setting, he say, but this I have against you that you have abandoned your first love. In other words, without this, everything else that is done doesn't matter to God. So, so he starts with that. Uh, So, remember, uh, when I was saying that this stage is fallen, Christ said, remember therefore from where you have fallen. I'm not inventing, you know, something. No. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove. What does it mean? Christ is walking in the midst of the seven lampstand. And he says, if you do not repent, if you do not go back to your first love, I'm going to remove the lampstand. What does it mean? You're going to be expelled, removed from my fellowship. And by the way, uh, same here, you see, uh, he even comments their their ethical life, they hate the works of Nicolaitans. But think about this, he said, who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life. So in other words, if we do not connect to Christ at that level, what he calls first love, the tree of life is not for us. I mean simply. Okay, let me, sh- let me just summarize this first picture. This church combines several features that would make her look like a genuine example of an ideal Christian community. She has doctrinal clear-sightedness that equips her to detect errors. Hmm? Concerning her ethics, she, is ir- she seems irreproachable. She looks at the behavior of the Nicolaitans with contempt. With respect to several visible issues, she seems conformed to Jesus Christ, except for the link of perfection, that is love. Now, this will make me, will inform my prayer, concretely. Lord, may your love dwell in my heart. Let me never abandon the first love. Now, remember, what happens? Now and of course we could make several applications here, but I know when you have accepted Christ that there was a fire burning in you. You wanted to share that, but what happened to it? What happened to it? Maybe you have you know Satan succeeded to intimidate you. Oh, you have to be an expert. Wait until you become this and become that and so forth, and then you can share the gospel. But now you're not really equipped, and you know etc. etc. And we. We start basically intimidating people in the name even of our so-called religious competence. It's terrible. Come on. We accept even eleventh hours. You know, people, no problem. <laughs> Welcome. Okay. So basically, then, what you have here is think about it. Uh, then next, okay. We learn that the congregation may have good doctrines and at the same time practice caustic criticism, severe judgment that do not glorify the Lord. If love, which is supposed to motivate, inspire all our actions, is reduced to only a sense of duty, then vitality turns into routine. And in many, unfortunately, of our churches, it's routine. By the way, and that's why to solve this sometime, we think, oh, okay, let's have more vibrant worship, more, v G, you know, but wrong solutions to deeper problems. Okay, uh, of course love doesn't ex- exclude sound doctrine, far, far from it. Okay, actually love fades because of iniquity. Jesus made it very plain in the Gospel of Matthew. In the context of the letter to Ephesus, love has faded because of a detective mentality. Good doctor, you know, detective mentality. And then we, you know, and I mean, I could expand on this, but just think about it. This is important. Okay. Uh, I don't need to enter on this, but uh, I mean about the detective mentality. But let me... Let me take you. Love is at the foundation of the church. Given that the God who founded it is love. And did it out of love. The moving away from love. Which in the text is compared to a fall. Is akin to alienation from light. Because Jesus is light. And when we shun away from him. You see what I'm saying? Uh, uh, and why, why do I say that Jesus is light? Remember the... Uh, the um, the, uh, the first vision, you know, uh, his eyes, I mean, R- Revelation 1, the, the beaming l- like light, precisely. So he says, if love fades, then you are removed away from me. Now, let me take you to another letter uh, quickly. So the first thing then that is important for revival, unquestionably, is, um, is um, love okay the eyes is not the eye is not sufficient one must include the heart the heart moved by the love of christ okay love must permeate our thoughts and actions the remedy of the problem in the letter of ephesus is the adoption of the mentality of jesus and this of course is indicated by the word uh, repentance but now let me just uh, it is not enough to suffer in the name of the lord the worshiping serpent is invited to think like him to feel like him now let me take you to the letter to smyrna the second letter what do we need okay and to the angel of the church in smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life and then he says i know your tribulation and your poverty but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Okay, now let's continue. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Okay, let me use the board to, to show you something here about this letter. Notice how Christ uh, introduces himself. He says, I am the first and what? The last. He says, I was dead, dead, but alive, forever, okay, but then he tells his church several things and actually wonderful things. Sometimes people forget that the book of Revelation is a letter of comfort for people who are suffering, for people who are going through trials and tribulation. Think about this, he says I know what? The first thing, well let me go back there. It says, I know your tribulation. Okay? So that is the first thing. Okay. I know your tribulation. This is like, there are some walls, hmm, barriers before the Christian. Christ says, I know your tribulation, but they will not stop you. I know your what? The second is what? Poverty. I know the slander of those who call themselves Jews and are not. And then, I mean the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to what? Suffer. This time you have what? Suffering. And then Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you where into prison? Another problem here, prison. Be faithful until, well you'll be tested for 10 days, you'll have tribulation. And then he adds there, be faithful until what? Death. Okay. Uh, Ah, no here. Ah, sorry. Okay. I'm going to use it here. Okay. Be faithful until death. (laughs) This time, what do we have here? Death. What is going on in here? In essence, Christ is telling the Christian, nothing will stop you. Nothing will stop you. I know, you will have tribulation, but you go through. You have, I mean, poverty so-called, even though you are rich, he says. You go through slander. By the way, this is difficult. Especially sometime, your own people can start slandering you. (laughs) It's not easy. But Jesus says, no worries, move on. Suffering? You have prison, even death, but guess what? Not even the second death will be able to hold you. Why? Because I will give you the crown of life. Isn't it wonderful? This is the reason why you have Christians willing to be martyred if necessary. Because Christ, they believe in Christ's promise. That he will give them the crown of life. And this is beautiful. You see, we should not just tell people, you know what? Once you become Christian, you will have security, everything is going to be fine. You know, I mean, uh, you will have no trouble, no difficulty, no nothing. Uh, Christ say, I will give you the crown of life. But, meanwhile, you may go through even this kind of thing. But remember, I am the first, and I am the last. I was there at the beginning, in other words, I'll be there when everything will be said and done. Now, let me ask you a question, just here briefly. When Christ says, I know, what is, what is he saying? Is he just saying, okay, I have some intellectual, you know, I mean, cognitive knowledge of, no, no, no. He is saying, I know experientially. Well, let let me ask you this question. Did Christ experience tribulation? Okay. Was he poor? Rich as he was, he became poor for our sake. Remember that? Okay. Was he slandered? (laughs) Oh, he's the son of Joseph. When they were saying that, you know, to say he's an illegitimate. And even when he was excruciating, well, remember, when he was even healing people, they say, oh, it is from Beelzebub that he is, you know, healing. Slander. And even when he was experiencing excruciating pain, the cross, they were slandering him still. Oh, he's calling Elijah. Well, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Those words were meant to hurt. You know, slander, tell me, did he experience suffering? He, even the Bible tells us, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. How about, was he in prison? He was arrested. Right? Did he experience death? He said, I was dead. But I'm alive. So this Jesus, when he says, I know. That's wonderful. God not, this is, by the way, unique to the God of the Bible. God coming to share in humanity, to share in our suffering, our human condition, in order to deliver us. So this is a wonderful letter of comfort, in other words. But notice, what do we need? He says, be faithful. So if if the first letter emphasizes on the need for us to be you know I mean to embrace love and not to shun away from it this letter this time emphasizes what faithfulness regardless of the circumstances by the way this is close to what Daniel remember he he was determined to be loyal regardless of what would happen. See? Be faithful. Alright so that's the second letter. Guess what? Every letter gives us the kind of equipment that we need in order to be ready for the second coming. Remember this is in the setting of the book of Revelation and as I was telling you earlier don't forget about that. This is a letter for the preparation of the church, and of course of the world for the second coming. Now, uh, let me move on a little bit further. So this, clearly, what we need then here in this letter, no question about it, is, uh, so I said all that, you know, I just wanted to save some time here. Unconditional attachment to the Lord Jesus Jesus Christ, whatever the circumstances the servant faces. This loyalty to Jesus is the way to a total and definitive liberation. The Lord Jesus is presented as the one who tasted death, as you know, and who became victorious. His power is not limited by the last enemy, death. He has the keys of death and Hades. He mentioned that, by the way, in that uh, that letter. And because of his prerogatives, nothing can ultimately prevail over the servant who clings tenaciously to him. No shutting in, whether by the tongue, blasphemy, suffering, prison, or even death can overcome him because of the one who guarantees the removing of the second death. Now, this letter is very comforting. It fills those who face persecution with courage and determination, even to the point of possible martyrdom. We learn that whatever may be the tribulation, they have limits beyond which they cannot go. And that's wonderful to know You know, those who suffer May be tempted sometime To give in to despair But we don't need to go there You know, let me just then move on to say Keep a lively consciousness Of participating in the life Passion and resurrection of Jesus Maintain the conviction of being A fellow partaker in the tribulation As well as the kingdom And perseverance of God's servant Like John himself Okay, Now, um, this, this is also something to be uh, meditated upon, although the Christian may be bound and limited by various obstacles he has the possibility to, to go through them all because of the first and the last that is Jesus himself you know? so uh, by the way these are things that you can even share with people who face, who have you know like uh, who lose their, I mean who have lost parents, relatives or friends you know that it is not the end because Christ, Christ can be, well Christ is victorious anyway. Okay, so uh, shall I, let me just see here. It's impossible because of the time we have to go through all of them. So let me just take you to the letter to uh, Laodicea. Okay, I'm jumping to the last and then I will just make some, uh, some comment there, okay. So I skipped Tyra and all these, all these are very important of course, but time will not allow me to go through each one of them. So let me just go directly then to the last letter here. Uh, Let's let's read it because, and by the way I'm reading it, I'm taking this one just briefly here because it's the most known letter, but probably the most unknown letter, amazingly. Why would I say that? Let us consider. To, to the churches in Laodicea, okay, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Actually, it could be translated differently, but I'll come to that. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot, Would that you will either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. interestingly this is the only thing that people remember from this letter most of the time you know the the uh, image of vomiting (laughs) okay for you say I'm rich I have prospered I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, or miserable, poor, blind and naked I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself Uh, and the shame of your nakedness uh, may not be seen and salve to anoint or I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Okay. Those whom I love I reprove and I discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Okay. Now, here is the letter to Laodicea. There is no better way, I believe, to end the presentation of Jesus Christ than to introduce himself as as the Amen. Hmm. The yes, the climax of all the blessings of God. I will not spend too much time uh, on this idea of amen, but it is really important for us to realize that uh, the word amen, <laughs> I know we use it casually, many of the time, oh amen, you know, even when uh, a pastor or a preacher or whoever says something bad about someone, we say amen, you know, oh, you are miserable, you say amen, you know, something like that, you know? but the word amen is, is is, is rich actually and profound, it well just briefly it comes from Bedouin language, you know. Um, uh, uh, the word Amen comes, comes from the root Aman and Aman uh, as I was saying comes from Bedouin language, like when the Bedouin wanted to pitch or build a tent, think about it, in the desert. The fact too of taking a tent peg and stake it on the ground, to tighten it, you know, to have a secure tent that is called aman. In other words, what was, you know, it is to stake the tent peg on the ground solid. This is the idea of something solid, something secure, something reliable, something you can depend on. Something you can stake your life on. So when you say Amen, therefore it is something that is true. You say that is true, that is reliable, that is secure. And the word by the way, to believe, to have faith, is exactly the same root in Hebrew. Amen, meaning to, to believe, to rely upon, to depend, to declare that something is worthy of your trust, in other words. So when you say Amen, you are saying, that is true, I can die for that, I can stake my life on that. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so so then, Jesus calling himself the Amen. Being the reliable one, the trustworthy one. Actually you have a commentary, write the faithful and true witness. It's not right right there in the text. So in other words then, okay, there's no better way to begin this letter than than to say Jesus is reliable. You can depend on him. Now, let me just take, uh, uh, you know, usually we think about, um, okay, I'll vomit you and so, but this is not the whole picture. This letter is really the deepest, I believe, love letter you find in the Bible. Okay, let me, let me, this letter, I can say, is about the passion of Jesus Christ for his church. He is like an ousted king, and I'll come back to that, useless in the sight of his people, who says, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, and need nothing, right? But, the church deceives herself, concerning her true condition. She has fallen into the trap of self-sufficiency, self-satisfaction, And by the way, this is not new. You find the same thing in the Old Testament in the book of Hosea. Okay. But the remedy for this church is to respond to the invitation to a vital relationship of Jesus Christ. Hmm? Think about it. Jesus is at the door knocking. But I want to just go to, to, to show you something here. Okay. Look. How Jesus is presented. Okay? He is the Amen. And also the faithful witness. Jesus introduced himself as a disgusted consumer. How can I say that? I'll, you know, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. But that's not the whole picture. He is also a threatening judge, right? Yes, it's part of the picture. But also, He's like a physician who diagnoses the condition of his patient. In the same letter. Right? Giving even a diagnosis. But then he adds, he also is a provider of remedy. I advise you to buy from me. So he, pro- he proposes a remedy to his church. So people really who criticizes Laodicea, should be loving Laodicea like Jesus does. Mm? And then, he is a source of healing. Uh, The word uh, I salve, same root as the word salve, salvation, you know. Okay, he is the one who restores His people to the dignity of being clothed, thus avoiding the shame of nakedness. When you see someone, I mean, this is just amazing, this letter. This church is deceiving itself, yes, we know that, okay. This church is wretched, miserable, naked, so shameful, right. Now, what would you do if you were a king? You are ousted, and (laughs) the people, are saying well we don't need you we have everything that we need what would you do you say okay perish in your misery or something like that but not jesus he's coming to plead knocking at the door like a beggar of intimacy think about it i remember when i became some of the adventist the first time i read this text you know (laughs) i felt like Telling the Lord, Lord, listen, don't stand at the door, just break the door and come inside and, you know, change and do whatever you have to do. Because I needed to be changed. I needed to think differently. I needed to have my internal database changed, renewed, transformed, actually. You know? So Jesus is the loving educator. Now, now notice in this letter, he says, Those whom I love, I discipline. Amazing. Find love, by the way, is parallel to the letter to Ephesus. And he's like a beggar pleading for an intimate relationship. If you open the door, I will come in and dine with you and you with me. And I mean, he didn't need to repeat that. We would have understood. But this is to emphasize the need for relationship, for fellowship, basically. You know? And then he... Um, the one who desires deep and genuine fellowship also, although the need uh, the, the, the church needs it, uh, needs it most think about this, this is the king because he says the victor the one who repents and becomes victorious I will cause him to sit on my throne right? so he's a king a king who is outside rejected he comes instead of killing the rebels he says well you know what I will share my kingship with you that is amazing the victor he encourages to overcome as he did so that they may sit he is the son heir of the father's kingdom you know all these images are really basically what do we find in this text an observation of the whole text displays the itinerary that moves from total degeneration the church to where shared kingship Miserable, you know, poor, naked, blind, promoted to sit on the throne. (laughs) This is amazing. This is why I'm a Christian, by the way. God did not see my sins against me. But he, he, he took it upon himself to save me, so that I may share the dignity of being heir with Christ. That is why the first, uh, the first presentation I made was to, to emphasize about who you are really. The dignity that, put, that God puts on each one of you, just amazing. We have no right to look down upon anyone precisely because of that. Now here we can see how is it possible a creator, king, The only genuine reference for humankind he is who who is ignored and even evicted from his throne. However, not only does he still dream about a possible restored relationship but more than that he wishes to restore the object of his love to the status of the dignity of kings. He desires no less than to share his kingship. So, let me summarize here. What are the characteristics Of a revived church from God's perspective. Now looking at the letters in their globality. Here is the thing. First of all, the worshippers, the resurrected Christ, the priest would like to see in his church. Revived are those, one, gifted with love. That was the letter to Ephesus. A love that motivates their work. Two, determined to be faithful no matter what the circumstances they face are that is the letter to Smyrna. Three, we didn't go on that but the letter to Pergamum was an invitation to be grounded on God's word, loyal and attached to Jesus Christ the word of God in human flesh and the scriptures the word of God in human language. That is what the spirit is leading. You see When when the Holy Spirit inspires people, He leads them to the scripture to contemplate Christ. What kind of people Christ wants to see? The letter to Thyatira talks about to live a holy and uncompromising life. We didn't go through that for time's sake, okay? How about the letter to Sardis? Revived by the spirit, not limited to the letter. We need the word, we need the spirit. It's like when you enter the sanctuary, what do you have? You know the sanctuary is like really a a miniature type of object lesson. When you enter the holy place, what do you find? The table, word of God. The lampstand, Holy Spirit, light. Prayer, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, connection with prayer to God in the name of Jesus Christ. See, then involving mission, that was the letter to, to Philadelphia. I put an open door before you. See, now this is really, and then finally, Laodicea committed to communion. I stay at the door. I knock. If you open, I will come in, you know, and dine with you. That's communion, fellowship language, in other words. In humility and complete dedication to live in complete reference to Jesus, being mindful of his sovereignty, living in gratitude to him for his righteousness, bringing all things captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ for his glory. Now, What would a Seventh-day Adventist revival and reformation look like? In what sense Adventist revival and reformation are unique? What Adventist why God called Adventists to revival and reformation it's because they were incomplete past revivals and reformation also because people departed from Scripture and they are counterfeit revival and reformation unfulfilled prophecy and commission to preach the gospel to the whole world for the end to come Adventists share with the world the knowledge of God and because the world has a lack of readiness for the second coming we are also called to share this aspect with the world we also are called to share with the world the righteousness of Christ the only qualification for heaven so as we and I could share more here but we will have to spend some time praying praying That we need for each letter, God the Spirit shares with us what we need today in terms of love, faithfulness, committed to the Word of God, right? Holiness, and notice, right? Revived by the Spirit through the letter to Sardis, involved in mission, and in constant fellowship. In communion with Christ, who is our sufficiency, the letter to Laodicea, that He becomes really our treasure. You know, uh, the Bible tells us we cannot serve God and what? Mammon. You know, the word mammon has exactly the same root as the word aman, because aman is what is trustworthy. You know, so you put your trust. Your treasure in money or in anything else than the one who is the Amen. So, this is the time for us not to look at materialism or whatever that Mammon is and completely dedicate ourselves to God. So, as we finish, I'd like us to pray for our complete dedication. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.